there are times where I look up from serving when we're not busy <laughs> trying to get the next thing. But I look up and you look out and you see the kids just, they're eating, laughing, and you see the parents talking to one another. And it's just so much more than a meal. It's the community that just, just pulls it all together. My name is Melanie Hill and I attend Lutheran Church of Hope. And I'm Becky Doubleday and I attend First Family Church. Love Lunches is a program uh, that churches in our community have come together to provide meals for kids and families during the summer months. So Monday through Friday from the time school gets out till the time school starts again. Um, from 11.30 to 12.30 we serve a lunch every day uh, to any kids or families in our community that need a lunch. I started Love Lunches around 2006, I believe. My kids were little and they came and they served with me. My kids and I started as just serving and then I moved into more of a site coordinator role where I helped prepare um, the meals and bring everything to uh, Sunrise Park is where it first started. We would pack everything up here at Hope um, and bring it to Sunrise Park and we would pack everything back up and bring everything back. We now serve at Ankeny Presbyterian, which is a better location for families to be able to walk to and have access to. And we have access to refrigerators and ovens, and it's wonderful. We got involved the same way. Um, somebody from the Ridgehead contacted me. I work at First Family and said, hey, would your church want to be a part of joining with other churches to feed kids and, and their families in our community? And so the first summer, my daughters and I volunteered. The next summer I became a site supervisor and we did the same thing. We came and packed up food, took it to the to Ankeny Presbyterian at that time and now they've been so gracious to open up their building to us and let us use a room and the refrigerators. And it's been fun for my family personally and then to see families in our church and the other churches get involved with us. But we'd love to have um, more people involved and I think that's been one of the fun things for me too is to get to meet other people from the community from other churches and to partner together and, and serve our community and serve the Lord and it's just been a joyful experience for me. I think this is the best team I've ever worked on and I think it's just amazing how all the churches come together to work together for the common good and I just think that's one of the powerful things about it. Well, good morning again and welcome to Hope. My name is Eli. I'm one of the ministers here on staff in Ankeny. And one of the questions I get asked fairly frequently, even by people who have attended our church for a while, is, Eli, what is it exactly you do here? <laughs> it's a really good question. Uh, no, so my, my title is I'm the Minister of Outreach for our campus, which means that I get to work with our staff and our volunteers focused on ministry that's happening outside of the walls of the church. So our mission at Hope is to reach out to the world around us, share the everlasting love of Jesus Christ. So uh, I get to focus primarily on the out part, uh, service projects, working with our missions partners, uh, leading trips uh, internationally around the world with our missions partners. Um, and again, it's not just me. We have staff and volunteers who work on that together. Um, and it's a great, great blessing. So anytime I get a chance to highlight one of the ministries that, that is focused on our community, I really jump at that chance. One of 
of them is starting up soon, Love Lunches. You heard Melanie and Becky on our video talk about that a little bit, um, and it's starting soon. So uh, Love Lunches, it, it provides free meals for um, students and their families during the summer months when the free and reduced meal program at schools is no longer meeting because they're not in school during the summer. So it fills that gap. It meets that need. And uh, one thing that I want to make perfectly clear at the very beginning is that Love Lunches is not a hope thing. It's not a Hope Ankeny thing. You heard uh, Becky and Melanie talk about how this is a churches in Ankeny coming together to meet a need thing. We don't claim ownership over it. Uh, it's something that we feel blessed to partner with other churches in our area to, to meet a need. And that really is the vision for, for the church in general. It's not about which church gets credit or which denomination or congregation. It really is meant to be all of us working together, one church the world over. In fact, uh, if you've ever been here at Hope when we do baptisms, which is pretty regularly on weekends, we recite the Apostles' Creed together as a way of reminding ourselves what are the things that we believe, and the church is a part of that. So this is the last phrase in the, in the Apostles' Creed. It's up on the screen. Let's read this together out loud. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. It's one of my favorite things that we do here is that we regularly remind ourselves the important things about what we believe. And here it says what we believe about the church. But again, a question that we get asked is, I, I didn't know we were Catholic. You know, what is that word all about? So really simply put, uh, it's not capital C Roman Catholic, which is a proper noun. It's a denomination within the church. Uh, it's, it's lowercase c, which is Catholic, meaning an, an old way of describing something that is universal or global or common. We are a part of the church Catholic the world over for, for centuries. That, that regardless of denominational affiliation or membership or which congregation you worship at, uh, if, if you worship... Jesus Christ, as a part of the, the, the Holy God, Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then you belong to the church the world over. That's what that Catholic word means. It's Jesus' vision for the church, that we are united together around, around the main things of our faith, the things that bind us together that are most important. In fact, this was Jesus' prayer when he launches the ministry of the church. We're in a, a quick message series this month, the month of April, where since Easter we've been looking really quickly at the, the Gospel of John in the New Testament and looking at how John describes the life of Jesus, particularly after his death and resurrection. Uh, but John is such a unique book this morning, I wanted to kind of fill in some of the gaps because there's a lot there that we need to cover to get us to where our Bible reading is today, the very last chapter of the book of John. And in John 17, Jesus is praying this long prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane before he is about to be crucified. And amazingly, part of his prayer is for us. So this prayer is up on the screen. Let's go ahead and read this together. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. So Jesus is praying for, for his disciples, for his followers, the, the people who are following him in his life. But he says, my prayer isn't just for them. It's for everyone who is going to believe in me through their message, which includes you and me. Because somebody in your life at some point told you about Jesus. 
They shared with you the good news about how much God loves you and that he sent his son in the world to to die for your sins and he overcame death and the grave by rising again on the third day. Somebody told you that. Somebody shared that good news with you. Whether it was at church or in your family or a friend of yours or somebody in your life, you were told that message and somebody told them. And somebody told them. And you and I can trace the lineage of our faith that we have in God all the way back to Jesus who was praying for you before he was crucified. And and, and look at what his prayer was, that all of them may be one. Everybody say one. one. That was his prayer for us, the church. Not that we would be separated, divided, in conflict, but that we would be one church, together, united. And so you heard about our Love Lunches ministry, that it involves four churches in our area coming together. The Ridge, which worships right across the street. First Family, they worship over on Magazine. And then Ankeny Presbyterian, where we serve these meals, they're over on Southeast Trilene. And there are things about each of our churches that are distinct, but it doesn't mean that we're not on the same team. And so I want to kind of break that down a little bit. Because you might be thinking, well, then how did we get here? Why, why do we have so many different kinds of churches with different names? And we're Lutheran Church of Hope. And, and what is that about? You know, there's like eight churches on 36th Street. How did that happen? So uh, there's a, a, an illustration that we use around here. Um, I didn't make it up. Pastor Scott has drawn it sometimes. If you ever attend the, the membership class, you've seen this before. So I apologize if this is uh, repeating information that you already know. But it's a, a helpful illustration of understanding what really is the church. You know, what, what are we? And again, how did we get here where there are some distinctions between different congregations that worship? So the, 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 the church, you could think of it, as a set of concentric circles. And at the center of what we call the church, the movement of God's people, the one church, the church Catholic, at the center of that is, is what we describe as dogma. Now, I know that that word has, um, it's a kind of a loaded word with some negative connotations. We don't particularly like to be thought of as dogmatic, but it really is a helpful word to help us describe what we view as the most important part of living a life of faith in Jesus Christ, our relationship with him, and what what really comes down to in that center core of our faith is is things like the Apostles' Creed that we recite regularly. Or there are other creedal statements like the Nicene Creed or the Athanasian Creed. They're helpful ways of summarizing the important beliefs and practices of a life following Jesus. And and really, it's, it's quite simple. That if you are somebody who, who believes in, and a church who believes in, a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God in three persons, and you believe that the, that the Son in that statement is Jesus Christ, the historical man who lived, who is also God incarnate, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered and died on the cross for us and rose again on the third day, he launched the church through the power of the Holy Spirit who continues to inspire us to live our life of faith and mission on him, with him. If those are the things that you and your church believe, then you belong to the Christian church. That, that really is the core of who we are. And that hasn't been in, in, in debate for 1,600 years. That, that's been a settled thing. What, what really is the, the dogma of the Christian faith, regardless of which denomination that you belong to, if you believe those things and practice those things, then, then you are a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Now, just on the outside of that, the next kind of layer or, or circle in this illustration is what we call doctrine. 
church doctrine. And here's where we see some denominational distinctions come into play. So, so as a Lutheran Church of Hope, um, our, our doctrine of, of, let's say, baptism. We have a doctrine of baptism, and we baptize infants, children, adults, regardless of age. And, and we have scriptural and theological reasons why that we, we think that that is a, a right practice. But there are other denominations and churches who have looked at the same scripture, the same theology, and they've come to different conclusions uh, about the age of, of children to be baptized or adults or, or how much water to use and things like that. They're, they're doctrinal distinctions, they're, they're important, but they're not the main thing. One of our, our hopisms around here, we have hopisms that we just use to describe to help us think about the church. We keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing for us is Jesus. Doctrine is important. You know, we, we made these conscious decisions, but it doesn't mean that, that, that if there's a church who, who thinks doctrinally about the main thing, that either of us aren't Christian all of a sudden that we can't get along, that we can't work together, that we can't be in relationship, that we're not part of one church. It just means that we have a doctrinal distinction. Another example is, you know, as a Lutheran church, um, we, we have a doctrine of ordination, that, that we ordain to be pastors, women and men. And again, scriptural theological reasons why. There are other churches, again, who have looked at the same theology, the same scripture, and come to different conclusions. It doesn't mean that we're not Christian. It just means that we are distinct from one another, but still looking to the most important part of our faith, which is our relationship with Jesus Christ and the things that he has called us to do. And, and this is really important because I think we, we live in a culture where, where we have this mentality that, that just because I am, I am distinct from somebody else, that means that I am in a state of irreconcilable disagreement with that person, with somebody else. That we can't get along just because we have distinct views about certain things. Now, on the outside of this illustration, the, 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 the final layer of this is, is a fancy word um, called adiophora. It's, it's a Greek word. It simply means indifferent. They're, they're the things that we are supposed to be indifferent about. You know, things like uh, at our church, obviously, we, we, we celebrate worship in a contemporary style. And, and, and we play music pretty loud, and we, we like it, and we made that choice. But there are other churches who have said that they want to worship with a more traditional style or a liturgical style. You know, some churches that, that whoever's preaching is going to be wearing a, a robe and, and a stole and things like that. And, and our church, I forgot mine. <laughs> I don't have one. These are things that we are indifferent about. But, but guess which part of this illustration causes the most disagreement in churches or, or fights or separations. I'll give you a, a clue. It's not the middle. It's the things that we're supposed to be indifferent about that causes so much division in the church. Again, because I think we live in a culture where we, we, we have this mentality that thinks that, that if we have a distinct view from somebody else, then, then we are in disagreement, that we can't get along. And this isn't just in the church. This is a cultural problem that, that we are facing right now that we have to get better at, that we have to, to continue to lead by example as followers of Jesus Christ. A, a cultural example of this, I think, that, that causes us to think that if I'm distinct from somebody else, that means I'm in disagreement with them. Um, one of those issues right now is politics. You know, that, that we think that, that if I have a political view of, of the, the central idea that's distinct from yours, then we just can't agree. 
We, we, we are in disagreement. We can't reconcile. We can't work together. We are in opposition with each other. And that's not the way that God has designed the world to work. That, that if we are truly about keeping the main thing the main thing, whether it's in the church especially, but culturally as well, then we ought to be able to love our neighbor enough to say that we can still work together. We can still agree that what's most important is what we're actually working for. And in the church, this is true as well. Because if there's a church that's baptizing adults only, in our church that baptizes kids, infants, and adults, the main thing is that they're being baptized into Christ. That is the main thing. And that's what we want to keep focused on. That as a church and as a culture, we can live into an attitude, a posture, that allows us to work together to, to meet needs, to achieve common good. And that's how we're called as a church. Again, Jesus telling us, praying about us. And I think that's why it was a prayer for Jesus, because we need the Holy Spirit's help to do this. As human beings, we have competition in mind for some reason. That's just how we're wired. But, but as a church, because of the Holy Spirit, we are one church. That means we're not in competition with other churches. We, we don't view our friends at the Ridge or at, at First Family or Ankeny Presbyterian, anywhere else in town. We're not in competition with them. It, when, when, when one church in town does well, we all do well. When we have churches that get planted and started in Ankeny, which there are, there are new churches being started in Ankeny, that's a great thing because we need more worshiping congregations to reach more people in our community to help meet more needs that are very prevalent. That the need for ministries like love lunches is so great that one church couldn't do it. One congregation couldn't do it by themselves. We need to be able to work together. So uh, I want to watch another clip with, with Becky and Melanie describing this need that we're trying to meet. Let's watch. So one of the meals that we serve each week, well, every few weeks, is hamburgers. And so uh, we were serving those one day and a little boy came back up and said, do you have any more of those hamburgers? Those are the best hamburgers I've ever had. They taste just like Bebop's. We need some more. So that was just such a fun, it's fun to hear kids and, and the meals that they enjoy. Love Lunches is a great program that reaches a variety of people in our community. Our free and reduced lunch program in all of our schools is growing each year and with grocery costs getting even higher, uh, we see that even more so in our schools and so we're so thankful that Love Lunches can step in in the summer. We know kids get a breakfast and a lunch during the school year and so we're so glad that Love Lunches can step in and provide a meal every day for kids and families that may not know where that meal is going to come from. So we're very thankful for that opportunity and for our churches to join together um, and do that together and be a blessing to families in our community and to kids. We have one person that is in charge of doing the grocery list and she'll coordinate all of the fruits and vegetables and meats and where we get those from and then things that need to be purchased from maybe another place like Sam's, whether it's plates and napkins. Then we have to have someone that goes to pick up those groceries. So you pick up the groceries and you unload them there. From there we have site coordinators that are there at the church to be able to lead other volunteers that come in to help serve. So we get to serve Monday through Fridays. Uh, the lunches are served from 11.30 to 12.30 each day at the, like I said, the Ankeny Presbyterian Church um, on Southeast Island. Volunteers who serve are there about 11 o'clock, and then they stay till about 1, 
12.45, 1 o'clock when things are cleaned up. We uh, do a variety of meals. So we have some days that we do cold meat sandwiches. We have some days that we get the grill out and we grill hot dogs or hamburgers. And then we have some hot meals that we've added in the last few years that have been kind of a fun addition and something different. But we'll start this year on June 1st and we go every, every day, Monday through Friday, other than the 4th of July until the week before school starts back up. We can serve anywhere between 40 and 150, <laughs> depending on, sometimes it depends on what we're serving. Hot dogs is a good, <laughs> is a hot item. Yes. Uh, and it depends on the weather too. Last summer, I believe we were around 75-ish a day. Yes, at least on average. Least. Yeah. In 2019, we served 1,900 meals. And then last summer, it was over 5,600 meals. So there's definitely a growing need as well. And I know, Becky, you and I have talked about the fact that it's not always just a financial need. Maybe it's just relieving the burden of knowing where that meal is coming from for the day. And that kids are coming to a safe place and a place where there's community of people. They start making friendships with the other families that also attend. One of the most unexpected joys that I've received from Love Lunches is the gratefulness of the children. The amount of children that come up to you after they get done and they thank you for being there. They, they'll tell you specific things that they like about the meal that you served and they're very appreciative. We have a number of, of educators in our church and administrators for the school district and staff, and so if, uh, these numbers are way off. Can you just wait until after to come and, and tell me about it? Uh, no one has yet, so uh, these were the most recent statistics I could find on um, Ankeny Community Schools' access to the, the federal free and reduced-cost meal program. Um, this is a program that the government provides so that students, uh, if they are economically uh, eligible, they can come to school and get a free breakfast and lunch when they show up at no cost to them. So in the Ankeny schools, we have just over 12,000 K through 12 students in our community, and 9.3% are eligible for this program, which means that there are 1,100 students in our town who, who benefit from, who, who access free and reduced cost meals at their public school. So that means that in the summer months, when there isn't school, that's 1,100 kids and their families who, who don't quite know how that need is gonna be met, how to fill that gap which is why just last year over 5,600 love lunches were served just in a, in a you know, two-month window. It doesn't last that long, two and a half months. This is a big need in our, in our town. And it would be tempting for us to, to you know, look at, at a place like, like Ankeny, Iowa, and think that this type of need doesn't exist. We, we, we on the surface, look really good. We, and I feel very blessed to live in this city and that, that we have great public schools. My kids go to our public school in our neighborhood. Um, this is a great place to live, but it doesn't mean that we don't have needs in our town that, that, that the church, I think, is meant to step in and address. When Jesus launches the ministry of the church, he's not launching a, a spiritual, theological religion on its own. The, the, there are parts of Jesus' message that are very tangible, practical expectations that, that, that they would actually meet people's physical needs in the moment. And we see that in our Bible reading today, where in the, in the last chapter of John, in, in the end of Jesus' life, he actually instructs his disciples by saying, if you love me, you will feed my sheep. 
So I want to take a step back and look at that some more. This story from John chapter 21 uh, that we get. If you have your Bibles, you can open to John 21. Uh, because we're at a, a place where Jesus, it's after his crucifixion and his resurrection, and then Jesus is, is uh, appearing to, showing up with hundreds of people. People are seeing him alive all over the place, including his disciples. And in this instance in John 21, five of his disciples have gone back up to the region of, of Galilee, which is in the north, north of Jerusalem, and they are back where it all kind of started, where Jesus called them first to be his followers. One of them is Peter, and Peter turns to, to four of his friends, and he says, I'm going to go fishing. Do you guys want to go fishing? Peter was a fisherman before he met Jesus. I think um, he was glad to be able just to do something that he loved. It's an unfamiliar time. So uh, he and his friends, they go fishing early in the morning, and, and if you like to go fishing, you kind of know how this feels and looks and smells even, that, that you know it's cool morning, the sun hasn't yet come up. The mist is still on the water. You just, you're hearing nothing but the, the waves gently lap up against the side of the boat. And then that Jesus comes walking along on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. And it says that they're only about 100 yards offshore. So Jesus calls out to them in probably the most fishermanly-like way possible. Have you caught anything yet? And no, they had not caught anything yet. So, so Jesus says, well, throw your nets over the other side of the boat. And they do that, and they, they catch so much fish that they can't bring it all in. And that's when John, who's on the boat, says to his friends, that's Jesus. There he is. That's our Lord. Now, I think um, when you read John's gospel, when you read all of them, you kind of get a sense that there was a little bit of, I think, sibling rivalry between Jesus' followers, you know, maybe even these denominational distinctions were starting back even then. John starts to kind of throw a little bit of shade at Peter because he said Peter, when he heard that it was Jesus, just jumped out of the boat and swam to shore. And then John says, the rest of us hauled all these fish back in. Thanks a lot, Peter, you were a huge help. They finally all get into shore. Jesus has built a small campfire on the beach and he started to cook breakfast for everybody. He says, bring some of your fish over and let's have breakfast together. It, it, would, be, it would be a mistake to read through the story of Jesus' life and, and not pick up on how important eating meals was to Jesus with, with his friends and his, his family, with his followers, and with people in his community. Th that food was a almost a central part to what was important to Jesus about his ministry. Because in our Bible reading, it says, after breakfast, he turned to his disciples and said, do you love me? And they said, we do. And he said, if you love me, feed my sheep three times. Now, of course, are there, are there deep theological and spiritual interpretations of this passage? Sure, of course there are. But if you take a step back from that and allow yourself just to, to again, view Jesus' life and the important role that food played for him, at some level we have to say, I also think that Jesus cares about hungry people getting the food that they need physically. That God doesn't just care about your spiritual self. He does care about your physical self and that the church has a part to play in meeting that need. In fact, I think you could, you, could, you could trace the story of Jesus' life and ministry as a series of important meals. And you could tell his whole story. You know, we meet Jesus in John's gospel at a wedding feast. And at the wedding, they've run out of wine. And so Mary turns to Jesus and says, you need to help. And Jesus ends up turning gallons of water into wine. And not just any wine. He turns it into the best wine that they've ever tasted. And why would Jesus bother to do that? 
If he just cared about sustenance or nourishment or your spiritual self, he could have turned it into two-buck chuck, but instead it was the best wine that they ever had. Because Jesus also cares about your experience, about having a full and abundant life, about a community that's, that's bound together, celebrating. You kind of move forward through the story of Jesus' life, and all the times he ends up sharing a meal with people who say, you shouldn't be eating with that person. You shouldn't even be interacting with that person, Jesus. And Jesus doesn't just, on the side of the road, have a conversation with lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors and sinners. He goes into their homes to share a meal. Because think about in your life, the, the, the most important moments of your life, what role did eating a meal play? For, for weddings, for, for graduations that are coming up, for retirement parties and, and celebrations, just having people come over into your home, you're thinking about what are we going to serve? What, what food are we going to enjoy together? And we put time and thought into that. That's because when you share a meal with somebody, you develop a relationship that's a lot closer, more intimate than if you're just having a conversation. That that meal provides a context for relationships to grow and develop. And Jesus does that with people. Everyone else says, you shouldn't even be talking to them. Jesus decides to have dinner with them. You know, we get to uh, another instance where Jesus is uh, teaching in front of 5,000 people at once. Or it says 5,000 men. So let's just double it. Say 10,000 people and they don't have any food. And the disciples say, we got to let these people go home. There's no food here, Jesus. And the disciples, are, they're thinking about this. They're going to get hungry. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, you feed them. You give them something to eat. Because Jesus cares about pe- physical nourishment for people. And providing that space and that, 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 that way for people to understand who he is. Now again, are, are there deep theological, spiritual interpretations for all these passages? Absolutely. But, but when we overcomplicate our faith, we, we start to miss the main point of Jesus' message, which is to, to love our neighbors as God loves us. And by loving our neighbors, we can absolutely should be providing for them, meeting physical, spiritual, physical needs for people as we're looking to meet spiritual needs. So, so anytime I get stuck um, overcomplicating my faith, which I do quite a lot, um, there, there have been some, some authors who I've read that help me just kind of take a step back and simplify things. And one of those authors is a man named Conrad Gempf. Uh, he's written a number of books that, that, again, help me simplify my faith and my practice. One of them is a book called The Mealtime Habits of the Messiah. So again, I'm not taking credit for the, the stuff I'm going to share, but uh, he says that there are four things that Jesus does around mealtimes that help us to understand who he really is and what he cares most about. And that's kind of how we're going we're to end our time together, looking at these four things that Jesus does, because that will inform how we interact with the people around us, how we get involved with our community in ways that Jesus would. The first thing Jesus does is Jesus takes something. Jesus takes what is offered. So again, let's look at, uh, we'll stay in the Gospel of John, the the feeding of the 5,000 miracle. There's this huge crowd of people and they're listening to Jesus teach and there's no food and so the disciples want to send everyone away. Jesus says, you feed them. And it says another of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. We know what happens next, or we're probably pretty familiar with what happens next, but I want to stop here and recognize this this boy who came. Because I don't think this boy showed up at that 
massive gathering of people thinking that basically his lunch was going to be food for everyone. I'm pretty sure he didn't start the day packing his picnic basket with that in mind. I also don't think that when this boy offered this little bit of food, what he was expecting to get out of it. I mean, that was his food for the day, and he's saying, here it is, Jesus. Not knowing what was going to happen next, giving away whatever he had. And Jesus takes it. He takes it and uses it. So many of us, I think, in our faith life, we get, we get stuck in this mentality that says, I don't have enough to offer to Jesus. I don't have enough talent or, or time or food or, or whatever it might be on our minds. So I, I really can't get involved with, with things like love lunches or any other ministry area in our church because I don't have enough. And this shows me that, that whoever you are and whatever you have, it's enough for Jesus to do something with. That, that Jesus will take whatever you offer. He gives us the ability to offer it. He's not going to take it from you. He's, he's waiting for you to offer up whatever thing you have. Whatever talent or time or offering you might bring to Jesus, he will take it and he will use it for great things, just like he does here. And the ability that we have is, again, to be in the offering posture. Jesus, I don't know what you can do with this, but I've got it, it's a little, and I'm going to give it to you. The next thing that Jesus does when he takes it, and this is an important step, he blesses what he takes. For us, it's very easy to move from the the taking to the the doing. Jesus takes it and does a miracle with it, and he gets involved, and there's an amazing thing that happens, and there is, but there's something he does before that every time. He blesses it. He gives thanks, and then he does something with it. Now, who is Jesus thanking in this instance? The Father, God the Father, sure. Thanking the boy for his offering, recognizing, acknowledging the sacrifice, the gift. All of us know from not only our relationship with Jesus, but from life in general, that we are more blessed not by what we receive or take or keep or hold on to, but by the things that we give, that we have been made a blessing so that we can bless others in return and receive that back into ourselves. Again, we hear Melanie and Becky talking about how we are so blessed because of this. Why? Because they're giving things away. They're blessing other people. That is a way to live a blessed life. To receive blessings from God isn't about getting more things for ourselves. It's about blessing other people. Now then, after Jesus blesses it, he always breaks what he blessed. And you, maybe you're hearing uh, resonance of, of the Last Supper here. That at the Last Supper, Jesus took bread when he was eating with his disciples, blessed it, and broke it saying, this is my body broken for you. But he does this throughout mealtimes that he offers. Another one of the authors who have um, helped me simplify my faith in some very helpful ways, Leonard Sweet writes about this. He says, the word company derives from the Latin words cum, which means with, and pane, which means bread, meaning breaking bread together. A companion is someone who brings the bread with them. That Jesus has given us the ministry and the mission as the church to be people, companions, who bring bread with us where we go. And to, to, to break it, to divide it, to make sure that there's enough for everyone out there who need it. And again, that we get to be companions. That's the truest sense of that word. 
And if you're looking for ways in your life to develop friendships, to cultivate relationships, it's through things like this. You heard again on the testimony videos of this ministry that the, the food is great, but, but it really is just an excuse to build relationships. It's the vehicle that we use to be companions with kids and their families in town and other people at other churches. It's, it, it's the thing that we get to use that brings us together. The, the thing that we can share and bless and break and distribute, that just gets us in a position where we can be companions, where we can be a true community with other people. And in that context, that's when we get to share the love of Jesus Christ. So finally, at the end of all of this, Jesus gives away what he took, blessed, and broke. Following Jesus is a, is a giving ministry, always. It's about giving away to the people who need it most. When they had all had enough to eat, this huge crowd of thousands of people, remember where it starts, a, a boy saying, I don't know if this is enough, but I'm going to give it, and Jesus takes it. And then all of them had enough to eat, he said to his disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. Jesus cares about the physical health of the people in our community. Now, of course, he cares about their spiritual health. But, but how receptive do you think somebody is going to be to a message of the good news of Jesus Christ when they can't hear that over the grumbling of their own stomachs? Because as we give away things that they need physically then we put ourselves in a relationship where they can better hear the good news about a God who loves them. And that it's not us who gets the credit. It's, it's always Jesus, it's God, it's the Holy Spirit who gets the credit for the things that we're doing. It's not us. It's not Hope Ankeny. It's not any of the churches we partner with. It's always God who gets the credit. And we point to him and say, we're here because of him, for you. And let me tell you about him. We love you because he first loved us. So we're going to watch one more clip of, of ways that you could possibly be involved if love lunches is something you think would be fun to do this summer. Kids serve together with families. It's an awesome time. Um, Melanie is actually here today over in our Welcome Center, and she's got some uh, cards, information that you can uh, get to take and just, again, think about it, process, pray about it, if this is a way that you could see being involved this summer. She's over there, but let's watch one more clip about, again, ways that God is using this ministry to reach people in our community. Let's watch. I remember when a grandmother came up and they were a family that came quite often and she was sharing that she asked her grandson, what do you want to do for your birthday? And he said he wanted to come to love lunches for lunch for his birthday. I remember a couple years ago we had the Centennial football team came oh, yes. and um, they were there to help us serve if we needed, but they took balls out into the green space and started games of kickball and it took a little while for the kids to warm up, but once they did, they just loved that these high school kids would take an hour and come and spend with them. The kids come, use the hula hoops, sidewalk chalk, the balls, you know, and sometimes it's, you know, when we're done at the end of the day, it's like, okay, let's put the balls back in. And I love to how God just continues to provide. Um, when we don't know how we're going to stretch food or it looks like it's disappearing fast. Do you remember? I remember the time, I think you were there that day, but I you know we've shared this about, we had walking tacos and I remember the lady serving looked in the roaster and said, I don't, I don't know how we're going to get through this line and then anybody else that comes and, and we, you know, started checking the refrigerator, like what else can we heat up? And she just kept scooping out walking taco meat. And at the end of our time together, 
we didn't turn anybody away. We had just enough. Um, I think there was enough left to, for two extras even. And we just stood there and looked at each other and said, wow, this is so cool. Like, God, you care about all of these details and all of these things. Loveland just has various opportunities for people to serve. If you want to just stand behind a counter and cut some vegetables for us and put them in bags, that's great, we'll take you. If you want to prepare a pasta dish, sometimes we do a hot meal pasta dish where people bring in a nine by 13 pan, you could prepare that for us it in. Uh, if you want to be up front interacting with the kids, actually pass loading bags and scooping food, that's definitely a need. Our site coordinators, people yes, like, like us, um, we found because we have more kids coming and families coming, that we, there needs to be more of us. Mm -hmm. Where in the past, there only needed to be one of us. Now we know, it's more comfortable if we have two of us there. And it's and more so, fun. It is. We did find that. <laughs> and comforting that you have someone else to bounce yes. an idea off of, like, what should I serve next? Yes. So we definitely could use some site coordinators. So anybody that's interested in doing once a week mm -hmm. um, commitment and just a little bit extra time, maybe arrive at 1030 and leave a little bit after all the other servers leave. We do all the training. Yes. So we'll teach you everything you need to know and you'll be paired with somebody that's done it before. So it's not scary. Or hard thing. If you're on the fence about coming to Love Lunches, I would say jump in, find a neighbor, find a friend, find the person sitting next to you at church this morning and, and encourage them, hey, let's go try it one day. You come try it for one day with us. And uh, I think you're really gonna be, you're gonna be blessed beyond anything you could imagine.